Let me tell you that good young people are not born, they're made. And I honor your father and your mother, your pastor, his dear wife that has helped bring you this far. I know what it's like to be a teenager and try to go to sleep and hear my mom and dad praying, Oh God, would you save Martin? Fill him with the Holy Ghost. You can't go to sleep with no praying like that going on. I know what it's like to crawl out of my bed, kneel down beside and say, Oh God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. I'm glad God still answers prayer. Praise God. Oh, praise Him one more time. I want to say what an excellent job the youth staff is doing, these wonderful group of ministers that have got together to provide this. This is awesome. Uh, you're going to look back at days like this and say, this is wonderful. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I have the unique ability to make everybody happy wherever I go. It's a gift. If I don't make you happy when I come, I make you happy when I go. And so if you haven't been happy up to now, well, y'all hold on just a couple more days and it'll be, it'll be bye-bye. I want to read in just a moment from Judges chapter 13 and read verse 24 and 25. While you're looking there, I will tell you that I asked the Lord what to preach tonight and he said it wouldn't matter. Said it wouldn't matter because nobody would remember what I preached, but they would remember how long I preached. Well, some of you can't even remember that. All right. If you found Judges chapter 13, I want to read verse 24. Say, Praise the Lord if you found it. God bless half of you. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. Boy, that's a great start, isn't it? When you got God blessing you, it don't get any better than that. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtawal. I cannot begin to imagine what it would have been like to have had the ability that Samson had. There's a few times in my life it seems like it would have come in handy. But I do know what it's like to have the Lord bless me and I've been privileged a time or two to feel like the Lord has moved on me at times. I do not know all the little thinkings and the moments, private moments that Samson experienced and shared and boded on. But ladies and gentlemen, his start in Judges 13, 24, and 25 couldn't have been better. I want tonight to tell you that there is no such thing as a throwaway kid. 
Look at your neighbor and say, you're worth saving. Now look at somebody on the other side and say, you're worth saving. God bless you. You may be seated. My father told me numerous times, heard him mention it, said it to me personally, that it takes two things to be saved. And he would quote Paul's epistle to the church at Rome, where Paul commended the people there because they had received from the heart that form of doctrine that had been delivered unto them. My dad said it took two things to be saved, the right kind of heart and the right kind of doctrine. My father's father's people were from Madrid and Barcelona, Spain. My father's mother's people were from Ireland. My father was half Spanish and half Irish. And he has told me stories of my family my grandfathers, my great-grandparents crawling on their knees, uncles, aunts, praying the rosary, going to Mass, crawling down the sidewalk. Their knees bloodied, their pants torn, their dresses ripped and stained. They had the right kind of heart. All they needed was the right kind of doctrine. I'm happy to tell you that within the sound of these four walls tonight is the right kind of doctrine. All we need is the right kind of heart. I've agonized over this message tonight. I want to preach to you on this subject, things... You can't tell your mom and dad. Things you can't tell your mom and dad. I know what it's like to have a father that was a pastor. And sometimes when I wanted to talk to my daddy, my pastor would find out about it. And there were times I needed to talk to my pastor, but I was afraid my daddy would know. And consequently, I shut down on the inside. And went many years without having a whole lot of communication as a teenager between my father and myself. We're a very affectionate, slurpy, kissy, huggy kind of family, but still there's a certain amount of reserve you can hold back. I am bothered today by a thing called, I would say it's an imaginary thing. Some people's world is pretty real, but it's called a generation gap. And we find it easier to confide in folks our own age than we do talking to somebody who is a senior or our parents or a preacher. Notice 
that it says in chapter 14, you don't have to turn there. I, I turned the lights out purposely tonight because I really don't want to look at you. And I, I don't mean that ugly. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm reaching for somebody in the house tonight. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and he told his father and mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren? In other words, this was not a brand new problem for, Saul, for Samson. This had been going on a while. Is there never, pick up on the word never, a daughter of the children of Israel? Why is it that you always want somebody over yonder? There's a pattern here. That Thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines. And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And when he went down and talked with the woman and said she pleased Samson well. Samson understood his strengths but he never understood his weaknesses. He understood what gifts and talents and abilities he had, but he didn't recognize his shortcomings when they screamed at him. And when everybody else could see it so blatantly and so plainly, it seemed to be oblivious to his own discretion. I would tell you that there is a mindset in society today that seems to be okay with whatever it is that makes you happy. I wouldn't know the top 500 songs on any kind of chart, country, gospel, you name it. I don't know, and what's sad, I really don't give a big quack. But... I found the lyrics to a song that says, Heaven's just a sin away. This version sung by Loretta Lynn. Heaven's just a sin away. Oh, whoa, just a sin away. I can't wait another day. I think I'm giving in. How I'd love to hold you tight. Oh, whoa. Be with you tonight. That still don't make it right. Because I belong to him. 
Devil got me down. Oh, woe, gone and got me down. I can't fight him anyhow. I think he's going to win. Heaven's just a sin away. Oh, woe, just a sin away. Heaven help me when I say, I think I'm giving in. I want to tell everybody in the house that heaven's not a sin away. Sin and condemnation and guilt and fear and rejection and isolation, torment, that's what a sin away is. And the road back to recovery may not be as quick as the one away from the things of God. I told you last night how that I stole a car. I made it two blocks with a car with no motor. That's pretty good, actually. I know what it's like to go into a Pentecostal prayer room with about 60 guys in there praying and the prayer room be roaring, just powerful. And I am the only one with my head down. And I'm the only one crying and sobbing. And they're praying prayers of victory and rejoicing and strength and power. And I begin to envy and I begin to feel like something is wrong with me. Why can't I have what they have? I'm a teenager. I've had the Holy Ghost now for a year or two. But man... When I pray, I can't walk around with that fire and feel that glory and stand up with one of them powerful testimonies. I, I, I wasn't immoral and I didn't do drugs. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. But I still had all this condemnation and all this guilt that kept my head down. And I spent my whole time in prayer repenting over and over and over for the things I had already repented of before. One time I walked in there and said, God, just one time I'd like to walk in this prayer room and feel what those other people feel and have the joy and the victory. And the... Just one time. Could you do that for me, God? Just one time let me feel it. My testimonies are I thank the Lord for the Holy Ghost and pray for me I'll go all the way with him. And I... I was a sad case. I really was. I had the best mom and dad in the whole world, and I was a second-class saint in a first-class church. But something in me got to craving and got hungry for God. And I knew I was going to have to get past a lot of Martin Ballestero to get anywhere. So I found myself going to the prayer room every service and sometimes get there early and I, I, it didn't happen the first couple of weeks, but I remember one Sunday night I walked through that prayer room. I got to the door and I raised my hands up and I stood still just a minute. And it just like something settled down over the top of my head. It got down to my eyes and I started crying. Got down to my lips and I began to speak in tongues and my hands, my hands were in the air already, but by the time it got to my feet, I started shouting and dancing. I let out a war whoop. 
I had never danced in my life. Let me tell you, you can run the aisles and you can leap for joy. But I'm not talking about that. I, I did that, but I just never got to dance before the Lord and just enjoy the moment. I see people shouting and looks like they got pain in their face. But I, I, this was one of them kind of things that just was glorious to me. I let out a hoop. It would have made the whole Choctaw Indian nation proud of me just to hear that hoop. When the men heard that, they all turned around and looked at me. They had never seen me shout. They had never seen me dance in the Holy Ghost. They shouted. And the, oh Lord, it tore the place up. And the women upstairs praying, they heard that. They went ballistic. We didn't even have church that night. We shouted it out. I'm telling you, you can be the key to revival in your church. You can be a key to a breakthrough in your youth department. tell you, if you're in love with the world, they tell me that, I, I got, let me just hold that thought right there. They tell me that in, in some of the marriage seminars that I do, I got some research material, says that tingles between a man and a woman, a woman and a man, last about two years. Basically, the romance, the honeymoon part of it. Uh, I I don't want you to get the conception in your mind, the concept in your head that, that uh, just because you're married, romance has to go out the door. I've been married going on 41 years this summer, and I still go on dates with my wife. We still hold hands, and I still kiss, and I hug, and oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm sorry that Sugar Booger is not here with me you would love her, Sister Honey, whatever you want me to call her. Uh, everything I am or could be besides the Holy Ghost, I owe to her. And I'll just tell you, young men, right now, you're thinking of getting in the ministry. Your ministry will never get any higher off the ground than what your wife's life will permit and allow. If she doesn't want to live godly, you're in a heap of trouble. You ought to thank God for a woman who's dedicated to the things of God. Amen. I am picking up on, oh, let me just say the tingles last for a couple of years. If you fool around with sin, there, there's some tingles going. Let's say you have an illicit relationship, something that nobody knows about, you think. Oh, there's going to be that stolen waters or sweet moment in your mind. But after it's all said and done and it things will come out, they, they, the information will make itself available to somebody that you're not living right or doing right. I would just try to point out to you tonight, and I'm struggling to get this off the ground, but I want you to know that this man that I have read to you about, it said he refrained from telling his mother and father. And I want to preach to you tonight or talk to you about things that you can't tell your mom and dad. I would tell you that the secrets that you hold within your chest can do more to rob you of the joy of God and could do more to rob you of victory and your relationship in living for God than many things that I can think of. 
Information is powerful. And the devil will hold some things over your mind. You know better get out there and shout, you're a hypocrite because what about this and what about that and what about something else? I want you to know that God knows your flesh and God knows that you're human. There is no permission slip to sin. Oh, I, I, I got some work to do. I haven't see that. I, I went to a fellowship meeting one time and some quail head got up, was preaching. He said, don't ever sin. Hey, brother, it's going to get better. Yeah, I'm talking to you. He said, don't ever sin, because if you sin, the Bible said there remaineth no more sacrifice for you. And I thought, oh, Jesus, if that, if he's saying, he said, don't ever think one thing you shouldn't think. Don't ever say one thing you shouldn't say. Don't ever do one thing you shouldn't do. Don't ever go one place you shouldn't go. Because if you do, there's no way back for you. There's no hope for you. There's no future. You're lost and on your way to hell. And I thought, oh, God. I got, I got the second row here. I got all the way across with young couples from my church. I got about 70 people in the audience. And knowing those six couples there, they, they can't, this is Friday, they can't make it to Sunday without saying something they shouldn't say, thinking that something they shouldn't think, doing something they shouldn't do, or going someplace they shouldn't go. Now, I pastored, I pastored folks where I was at. I don't know what y'all got down here, but we have folks up in Indiana. So I leaned over to the pastor and I said, Pastor, would it be all right if I took the service when this guy's done? He said, Lord, I wished you would. The man was old enough to be my daddy. He said, Lord, I wished you would. He said, I'm a backslider. When he got done, I, I don't believe in being cruel or mean or vicious or harsh in the pulpit. Kind of hard to preach the love of God like that. But I said, I want to thank this good elder for coming these many miles to preach to us tonight. This man has preached with tears. He's preached with passion. He's preached with burden and sincerity. I said, the only problem is our dear brother is sincerely wrong. I said, there is no place in the Bible that gives you a permission slip, indulgences, a hall pass to sin. But the book says if we sin, we have an advocate with a father. Jesus Christ the righteous. I said what is an advocate? An advocate is a defense attorney and why would we need a defense attorney if there's no hope for us? The book said, who daily maketh intercession for you. And why would he be making intercession for me every day if there's no hope for me? I've come to tell every young person in the house, there's hope for you. The devil will tell you you've crossed a line. That you cannot be saved. The devil is a liar. He's pulled that trick on everybody in the world. You know, you raise your kids up, try to get them old enough to live for God and old enough to get married, and the devil's sure going to try to tempt them. I have four sons Fine, handsome sons, one beautiful, drop-dead, gorgeous daughter. Uh, 
thanks to my wife. And uh, had one guy come to my house. I'd never seen him before. He had a look like a bowl set on his head and shaved all the way around. He had earrings on each ear, and somebody had slapped him in the face with a tackle box. And he said, is Marisa home? I said, not to you, she's not. One dude finally made it in the house, and I walked, I, I wasn't there when he come in, and I walked through the living room, I looked at him, and I nodded. I walked about six, eight feet to my bedroom door, opened it, went in, got my, went, opened up the gun case, got out my old shotgun, went chung chung. I never did go out of the room, but I heard the door close. My daughter said, he jumped up when you did that, Daddy. He said, I don't think your daddy likes me. I said, well, at least he caught on quick. <laughs> but we don't raise our young people up to throw them away when they get 18, 19 years old. Your pastor and your mama didn't try to put a fence around you so that they could rob you of enjoying life. More than anything in the world, they want you happy. They want you to enjoy life. They put the fence up to protect you from being hurt. Uh, I, I'm going to be very transparent here tonight. I, I was at Brother Danny Frazier's funeral. And my wife called me. She said, baby. Our baby's been smoking from the time he was 13. He was a senior in high school, or 19, 18 or 19. He said, and he's got two tattoos. I said, what? I cried all night long. I sobbed. I thought, God, this was a month before I resigned my church to evangelize. I thought, God, here I've been preaching, trying to help save the world, and my own children are struggling. I'm a failure as a parent. I, and I cried and I sobbed. I thought, how, how could this have happened? And I, I left at 6 o'clock. I had to drive to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Just let me do this at my own pace tonight, would you? And I drove to Albuquerque, and I had a little, at the time, I had a little Franklin Bible, electronic Bible, and I, I'm driving with my knee. It's a lonely road. I went a half an hour at a time, didn't see a car, but I'm driving with my knee, and I'm, I wanted to teach. I had to teach that night at Bible study, and I was going to teach on the heart of a servant, and I come across a scripture. It said, if, thy, if a servant... Escape from his master unto thee. Return him not unto his master. Then it said, says some other stuff. They said, neither shalt thou oppress him. I thought, I'm one of these idiots that just talks out loud to God. I said, God, what does that mean? Does that mean I can't get my son restored to you? What does it mean, return him not to his master? Paul got Onesimus restored to his master. And then I thought, you know, I can go out and I can get somebody and drag them down to an altar, but I can't make you want to serve God. I can't make you want to serve the master. You've got to want to down in your heart. I said, well, God, I, I, I can understand that. But what does it mean? Don't, don't oppress him. 
And I just said it out loud. And I know this is not the proper interpretation. I'm, I'm, I'm so simple in my thinking that you just bear with me. But the thought come to my mind, don't nag him. He already knows what he needs to do to get right. The very fact that he escaped from the master and come unto you must mean that somehow he loves you and trusts you. So now his whole future can be in your hands what you do with this person that has run away from the master. And I got to thinking, God, how do I reach my son? How, how do I get him restored? And I thought, if I take church out of the equation, if I just remove church out of the equation, what kind of son is he? He's a loving son. He's respectful. He's never sassed me in his life. He would never do anything to injure me. He loves and respects and honor. His mother would fight for his mother. I couldn't ask for a better child as far as a son goes. It was just his problem was with the things of God. And that's what I was reacting to. And I thought, well, if I can't nag him, and he's escaped to us. And we, if I wait until my son is perfect to tell him that I am proud of him, he may never hear me ever say the words, I'm proud of you, son. I know what it's like. I had the world's best dad. But you see, we tend to parent like we were parented. My daddy never had his father ever say to him that he was proud of him. I was almost 30 years old before my dad ever said to me that he was proud of me. But I pastored young ladies that got married. Some weren't even, never even got married. Some messed up their lives. Some had affairs on their husband. They kept looking for that father approval, that male approval in their life. And I made up my mind, I'm not going to have my children grow up without hearing their father say, I am proud of you. Even if they're not perfect. If I told a fib, I got to go, I'll go repent later. That you can smile on that one, all right? But I, I walked in the house, and he was sitting on the couch. It's about 6.30. It's almost time for church. And I said, hi, Andy. He said, hi, Dedams. He calls me Dedams. And he came up to me and gave me a big hug, and I hugged him, and he kissed me on my cheek, and I kissed him on his cheek, and I rumpled his hair, and I said, I love you, and I pat him on the back. He said, I love you too, Dadams. And I got him by the ears, and I seesawed his head back and forth. I said, I love you, son. I'm proud of you, son. And if I had sucker punched him, it wouldn't have hit him any harder. He said, oh, no, I'm proud of you. And I kissed him on the cheek real quick because I knew I was getting ready to cry. And I said, I love you, son, and I went into my room. He went into the kitchen, and he said to his mother, Mama, did you tell daddy I smoke? She said, yes, honey, I did. I said, did you tell him I, I did drugs? I said, yes, honey, I, I did. Did you tell him I got tattoos? I said, yes, baby, I did. And he falls into her arms and he sobs and he cries. He said, mama, how can he say he loves me? And how can he say he's proud of me when he knows what I've done? I want to tell somebody here. My wife said, oh, honey, that's a father's love. 
That's also a heavenly father's love. I want to tell somebody here that even though your, your mom and dad may not know, but your heavenly father knows. And in spite of what you've done, he still loves you. I'm happy to tell you that God gave me my son back. And he's in church living for God victoriously tonight. He's a Sunday school teacher in the youth department. Things you can't tell your mom and dad. Hey, dad, I got a sinner girlfriend. You just have a hard time spitting those words out when you look at your daddy. How long can you keep some of this stuff quiet? Nobody know that you've got a sinner girlfriend. What, what was it that happened down there to start with that made a worldly girlfriend attractive to you? I have family, ex extended family that went to nationals in quizzing, memorized almost 3,000 scriptures and wound up having a Baptist girlfriend. His mother cried. I cried and I prayed. I'm happy to tell you that he's since got his head back on straight, prayed back through and is doing marvelously living for God. Just because you have a bump in the road doesn't mean it has to be the final day for you. You know, he had the word in his head, in his, in his mind. He had memorized it, but he didn't have it down in his heart. And I want you to get this in your heart this week. I want you to go home with something down in your heart that changes you. I want you to live a life that's overcoming and victorious. I want you to know about the joy of the Lord because if you spend your time with guilt and condemnation, you never will make progress. The devil never will be afraid of you and God can't use you like he wants to. Things you can't tell your mom and dad. Hey, Mom, I've lost my virginity. I hate to tell you this, but one out of ten teens wind up getting pregnant. If statistics were in the world were held true in this house tonight, over half of those by the age of 16 have already been intimate with the opposite sex. I don't know how to tell you this. Samson fooled around with harlots and he still could pick up the gates of a city and walk off with it. And some people tried to mess around and fool around with sin and you still know of them singing in the choir. I could tell you some horror stories of what people tried to pass off. But I pray to God there's enough conscience in your heart that says, God, I want my heart right. I don't want to be fake. I want to be real. God, I'm weak. I have flesh just like everybody else. So God, I need you to give me strength. You are not much of a man. 
And you do not love that girl over there if you cannot honor and respect her virginity. If you love her, you'll honor that. The book already said that your flesh is weak. Quit trying to prove it's not weak. It is weak. Your flesh just like everybody else. And I would tell you that President, former President Bill Clinton has cursed, or at least brought it out to the open, some of the mores of society making us feel like Bill Clinton's sex is okay. I've been in places where they call it Pentecostal sex just because they think they're not committing actual fornication. Learn how to possess your vessels in sanctification and in honor. Never forget you're an apostolic. Just because you dress godly on the outside, that's honorable and beautiful, but you keep the inside pure too. Come on, put your hands together. I'm telling you that secrets are deadly. Some secrets will kill you. Achan's secret killed him and everybody that knew the secret got killed. You think about that. And, uh, I, oh, Jesus, I'm going to get in trouble here tonight. We got people that stand up. Uh, people will flock for miles around to hear somebody prophesy. And notice that they only prophesy blessing and prosperity and revival. They never say, you're a God robber and you're sleeping with somebody else's wife. I stood up in a church one time and said, the Holy Ghost showed me there's a spirit of adultery, fornication, and homosexuality in this, in this church. And if you don't repent tonight, the same God that showed me that's going to tell me what your name is, and tomorrow night I'm going to stand up and call your name out. There was 14 cases came to light right out here on the, on the platform. Do you know that when I, oh, somebody stood up, tried to talk me down in tongues, and I, I had everybody pray, and I walked off the platform, and I laid my hands on a 12-year-old boy there who was crying. I realized he didn't have the Holy Ghost. I said, receive the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. He started talking in tongues. After church, one man came up to me and stuck his finger in my chest and twisted. He said, Mr. Prophet, there's eight of us that want to see you outside. I said, sir, you got a problem with me. You don't talk to me. You talk to the man that invited me here. He said, no, Mr. Prophet, we want to talk to you. Well, I've got enough Latin and enough Irish in me. I may not start the fight, but I'm going to hang around and see how it finishes. I walked outside and eight men surrounded me and that guy stuck his finger back in my chest and said, okay, Mr. Prophet, you tell us who the adulterer is or you shut your mouth right now. Well, I come from the school that says you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, it's the one that you hit, the hollers. You don't have to be no rocket scientist. I said, sir, the best of my knowledge, you're the biggest adulterer in this church. And all eight men turned around and walked away immediately. Within two weeks, he was in prison for molesting his own daughter. He went to prison for 25 years, him and another man. 
I've lived long enough already to have those two men get out of prison and come back up to me and thank me for being bold enough and brave enough to say, Thus saith the Lord. We're living in a day when people get afraid to preach against sin. And maybe I'm way out of my league tonight, but I'm sick of hearing stories of Pentecostal girls getting pregnant. But it happens, ladies and gentlemen, it happens. I had a mother come up to me. I'm taking a long time tonight. I understand that, and I just, you're just going to have to deal with me. I had a mother come up to me and say, Pastor, the mother was crying. She said, I need you to talk to my daughter, and if you don't ever want her to come back here again, I understand. And my heart sank. I thought, oh, God. This was a beautiful red-headed girl in the middle 20s. Loved her like my own daughter, been in our home, like one of our own kids. I sat down in the office with my wife and her, and she started crying. She said, Brother Ballestero, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against this church. She said, I've shamed my mother and my father. I've forever ruined my life. She said, I'm pregnant. And I thought, oh, God. I don't want the spirit of fornication to get in this church. Now, you, you, you can live in law-law land if you want to, but I believe that there are spirits that control and govern. Oh, it's, it's not stronger than the spirit of God, but I didn't want it getting a foothold in our church. I fought too many years to keep the church clean. I didn't want to throw it away. Oh, don't, don't you sit on your preacher when he gets up and preaches against sin. I don't care if, if you're guilty or not guilty. Somebody needs to hear the word of God preached. And the day you shut your preacher's mouth is the day you have a Pentecostal meat market in your place. And I was, she said, Brother Ballester, if you don't want me to stay here, just tell me where to go, what to do. I just want to know what to do to be saved. And I sat there and I, my head's down and I'm, I've got tears in my eyes. My wife is talking. And I'm thinking of all, all the reasons why I don't want her there. And the Holy Ghost smote my heart and said, Listen to her. Listen to what she just said. She said, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you and the church. Of seven in the Bible who said, I have sinned, only two found repentance. Go down through the list. Esau, Saul, Cain, just go on through the list. They said, I have sinned, but they didn't find repentance. Just because you say, I'm sorry, doesn't mean you got the actual repentance. But it was those, David, the prodigal son said, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against thee, O God. And when she got done talking, I said to her, I said, girl, I hate everything that you've done. I hate what it's done to your life. I said, but because you have this spirit and this attitude of repentance, my wife and I are going to pray with you. We're going to pray you through, back through to the Holy Ghost again. And we, we're going to pray God's hand on you. And I said, with the spirit of repentance and attitude like you have, 
You will be as what? Now, I talked to her about confessing and forsaking the sin. Not just apologizing, but quit messing around. I said, with an attitude of complete and total repentance, you are as welcome in this church as the flowers in springtime. And come to church the next night, my wife and I prayed with her, and she hugged my wife, and they cried. Come back to church then the next service Wednesday night, and she stood up. I'm out in front of my little lectern getting ready to give a, my Bible class, and she stood up, and she said, oh, please, I, I need to say something in the, in the inside. I said, no, no, sit down. No, don't say that. But she said, church, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you, my pastor. Brought reproach on my, my mom and dad and myself. She said, you may not ever want me to come back to this church again, and if you don't, I'll understand. She said, but I'm so sorry. If, brother, if you don't want me here, I just want Brother Ballester to tell me where to go. i, I got to be saved. And the grandmas and the moms and the sisters in the church begin to groan from down in their gut. They, they stood up with their hands reached out, and they started walking as fast as they could to her. They swarmed her like bees on a hive, and they wrapped their arms you couldn't see the girl for 15, 20 minutes. They were sobbing and wailing and wailing and wailing. And pretty soon there was a shout that went up. Oh, the whole group just busted up shouting. Oh, Lord, it was wonderful. And the men were rejoicing and thankful, praying. When it settled down, I called the lady by name. I said, come up here. I said, stand behind me. And she stood behind me. I said, I do not approve of what she has done. But now this is officially under the blood. And it's on the other side of Calvary. And can't none of you talk about it, open your mouth without having to go to the other side of Calvary. Or plus getting past me now to talk about it. Because I would rather have 75 young women like this one right here. That has problems and yet has repented than to have 300 self-righteous, long-tongued gossips that want to criticize everybody with a problem. Things you can't tell your mom and dad. Hey, Dad. I was molested. Three years ago, I got a phone call one day from one of my sons. He was sobbing. He said, Daddy, he was married. He said, I couldn't tell you before, but one of my teachers in school molested me. And he lived all these years with the thoughts that he had AIDS, that he was dying. I want to tell you, one out of six girls have been molested. One out of four girls have been molested. One out of four boys. I, I got it. One out of six boys, one out of four girls. I get it right yet. Don't act like it hasn't happened in Pentecostal circles. And I, I don't want to be known as a preacher who preaches on this subject. But ladies and gentlemen, we have pain. We have reality in our world in which we live. 
And we have young people that are suffering through their own personal hell when they come to church. And they got to fight past all this kind of junk. I preached in a church in state north of here where over 200, what I, I, the pastor said, is if you're having a hard time getting past I just talked about forgiveness. I said, that dirty devil who molested you, the electric chair is too good for him. Prison's too good for him. The daddy in me that wanted to protect my children was still screaming. I don't know what I would do if I could find the person. I don't know. But this much I do know that I said, that person that has wronged you I said, if you want the mercies of God on your life, you have to forgive those who have wronged you. It's not like you have to go up to them and apologize, but you got to forgive them in here. I said, it doesn't save them. It doesn't make them any better. They're sleeping every night. You're the one with the problem. You're the one with the fear. You're the one with the guilt. I'm telling you, it wasn't your fault. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not your fault. The devil will tell you it was your fault. I'm telling you it's not your fault. The dirty devil will use that as guilt and hold it over your head trying to keep you out of an altar, trying to keep you from going forward in God. When I got done with my making that little statement, that pastor reached up and touched my elbow and he said, if you're here in the service tonight and, and you have a problem getting past you were molested and you're having a problem getting past that, I want you to come up here and stand right here and Brother Ballestero and I will pray a prayer of deliverance for you. Ladies and gentlemen, a congregation this size, they lined it up the two deep all the way across. I don't know how many people were in the altar. I'm telling you, Everybody has pain in their heart somewhere. And the devil will do his best to keep you from talking to your mom and dad and talking to your pastor. I'm trying to tell you that there is a God who loves you and in spite of the hell that you had to go through still wants to wrap his arms of strength and comfort around you and let you know you're going to make it. Things you can't tell your mom and dad. Hey, mom, I use drugs. Hey, dad, I smoke. Hey, mom, I got a tattoo. Hey, dad, I'm going to backslide. I had one of my children tell me one time, Daddy, it's my life. And I reached out and got him by the shirt and I pulled him up to me and I kissed him on the forehead and I said, no, it's not. You've been bought with a price. It's not your life anymore. You belong to him. That devil would tell you that it's your life, but it's not. I'm talking about things you can't tell your mom and dad. Hey, dad, I, I watch television. Hey, mom, I'm going to the prom. Hey, Dad, I sneak around and wear pants. I don't live the standard. 
No wonder the epistle said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. I cried like a baby some few years ago when my daughter called me. She's married and living in Michigan. And when you're married, you living away from home, you and your spouse can pretty much do whatever it is you make up your mind you're going to do, I suppose. But my daughter called me. She said, Daddy, you're never going to have to worry about me in holiness. I got it for myself. I cried like a baby for an hour. Why? Because my baby got it for herself. And all I can hope is that somebody in this camp meeting gets it for themselves before they go home. Hey, Dad, I met this guy in the chat room. Hey, Mom, I'm into pornography. I preached in a church last year. Guy sitting right over there on the front row spent $33,000 in pornography in one year. A guy across the aisle spent $1,800 in two months on one nine hundred telephone calls. I'm talking about people that lost their house and lost their car and lost their marriage. Wake up to what horrible things the devil is trying to do. Hey, Dad, I'm going to commit suicide. I was driving down the road one day, and I felt an impression. I'm the kind of pastor that I never went to anybody's house unless you call me. I went to this one young man's house. But as I'm driving down the road, I get this impression, stop by and see him. And I said, well, God... I said out loud in the car, God, what did I say to him? I don't know what to say to him. I, don't I didn't check up on people. I never, played, I never played private investigator or played prosecuting attorney. And don't you ever play private investigator or prosecuting attorney in the kingdom of God. People that do that have problems of their own. I had two young men follow another young man around town all night long, find, see if, find out if they could catch him doing something wrong, and they did. But you know what happened? I lost all three guys. Because the guys that were following the dude around, they had problems of their own. You watch that spirit. But I, I said, God, what do I say to this young man? And the thought came to me, tell him I love him, tell him you love him, and tell him there's hope for him. I turned the wheel and I pulled up to his house. Although, oh, there had been some problems and there were some people that had a problem with him. He was going through a divorce. I don't like anything at all in the world about divorce. And I'll just tell you this much. Anybody's been through a divorce, I'm sure they don't like it either. But he was the first one in the altar every night praying. His wife was out having babies by whoever would help her. And it was a sad case to look at. And as I came up there and I, I knocked on the door, I said, I knocked and I knocked. And finally he came to the door he said, well, hello. And I said, I was driving down the street, and I felt like the Holy Ghost told me to stop by and see you. And I said, God, what do I say to him? And I said, I feel like the Holy Ghost told me to tell you that he loves you. He wanted me to tell you that I love you. And he wanted me to tell you that there's hope for you. The kid was in his early 20s. And he falls into my arms, and his knees buckle. They go down into the snow, and he cries, and he chokes. 
And he sobs and he sobs and he goes completely, totally limp. And I hold him up best I can and I'm struggling. My, I don't know what the neighbors thought. It's cold. He doesn't have a coat on, but he's sobbing. He's crying. And so I start crying and praying. And I'm pleading the blood of Jesus over him. Praying one of the most difficult prayers I ever prayed in my life. And finally, after about five minutes, he stands up and he hugs me and he thanks me. He said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I said, you going to be okay, son? He said, yes, sir. I drove off and I didn't know for two years that he'd been sitting there with a shotgun underneath his neck, underneath his chin saying, God, there are people in the church that know I'm going through this difficult time and they would rather I go to hell than ever come back. They would rather I commit suicide than ever bother them and disgrace our church by coming to it. God, if there's any hope for me, show me some kind of sign right now or I'm going to pull this trigger. And while he's praying that prayer, I'm knocking on the door and saying, God told me to tell you that he loves you. And I want you to know I love you and there's hope for you. I'm trying to tell somebody suicide is not your answer tonight. There's no hope there. There's no future there. I want to tell somebody that God loves you. I love you. And there's hope for you. You're going to make it. Do you know if you would have looked again at the story of Samson, Delilah says to him in the last days, she said, tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth and wherein thou mayest be bound to afflict thee. She told him what she wanted to do and yet he's so dense he stayed right there. What if? Let me talk about some what ifs. And I, I, I want the musicians to get ready to come. I've got three or four minutes and I'm done here. What if Samson had never fooled around with the wrong women? What if he had never messed around with the world? What if he was a model for all others and blessed of God? This guy was a judge. He knew better. Samson's last prayer is when he is in the temple of a pagan god. His hair has been cut. His eyes put out. He is in chains and he's grasping and feeling for pillars. And he prays his last and final prayer. God, one more time, I want to feel your presence. One more time. His secret was out. He was found out. His secret was out. And now his one last request was, I want the victory over my enemy. I'm here to tell everybody that your end is going to be better than Samson's. But I do think, like him, it's time you pull down the stronghold of sin and the stronghold of the secrets that held you bond in bondage for so long. It's time you stood to your feet tonight and say, Devil, I'm tired of what you've done to me. I'm tired of what you've done to my walk with God. I'm going to turn it over to Jesus tonight and I'm going to go home with a victory in my soul. I'm going to come up around this altar and I'm going to pull the streets, the, the uh, pillars down. I'm going to pull down Satan's stronghold tonight. 
His last request was for victory. And I'm asking every young person in the house, if you want victory, I want you to come up here tonight. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Everybody needs help. We just need help in different areas. I want our pastors to come. I want parents to come. I want this, those that have strengthened God to pray one for another. Pray for our young people. Come on, lift up your voice to God tonight and let Him minister to the needs of your soul. The Holy Ghost is here.